Preserving faith in Christ today means standing in the merit of Christ in the day of judgment. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you are on your throne, that you are reigning and ruling and governing, you are sustaining and overseeing all that you have created. Uh, there is nothing outside of your sovereign control. Father, we come to you as, as our God, as the judge of all the earth. Uh, we come to you in Jesus, knowing that one day we will stand uh, before the judgment seat of Christ. But though we should have reverential respect for you, the judge, yet we know that in Christ we will stand in judgment, not fearing the punishment that we deserve, but resting in Christ, pardoning our sin and taking that punishment on our behalf. And so, oh Lord, remind us today of and warn us of the necessity of persevering faith in Christ that we might stand in his merit in the day of judgment to come. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39, as we come to this passage dealing with judgment and hell and how we are to navigate life in light of that reality. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when... After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming of the one will come and will not delay, but the righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere their souls. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Stop. Turn back. Warnings alert us to danger. Did you feel warned? And sometimes they alert us to life-threatening situations but warnings also incentivize us, as we heed that warning, to live lives that are safer and wiser. 
the White Mountain National Forest, which is mostly in the state of New Hampshire, has a warning sign posted. It begins, stop, the area ahead has the worst weather in America. Many have died there from exposure, even in the summer. Turn back now if the weather is bad. In bad weather, in this particular national forest, one might have a reasonable expectation of dying. So, be warned. In our text today, we find the author of Hebrews warning. In effect, he is saying and warning, stop, turn back. His original readers were being pressured to apostatize, to reject Christ and revert to Judaism. Be warned, he, he pleads with his congregation. Apostasy has life-threatening consequences. Stop from the path of rejecting Christ and turn back to a life of persevering faith, to a life of endurance. So before we cover really two points in this text, the warning concerning apostasy and the exhortation to persevering faith, there is a third thing and the first thing that I would like for us to cover. That is simply being reminded of the realities of both judgment and hell. Judgment and hell are ignored mostly by mankind. Some who identify themselves as Christians that would claim to be part of Jesus' church deny that a loving God would ever judge sin and certainly would not remand a guilty sinner to eternal torment. Others in the church believe that God will punish the wicked, but they deny everlasting torment. They believe once you die, you, you're, you're just annihilated. What does the Bible teach about judgment and hell? None of these that I've just mentioned, but these are just some thoughts concerning the biblical truth concerning the realities of judgment and hell. First judgment. The Bible teaches that every person will die physically. At Christ's second coming, all the dead will be raised in the general resurrection. And along with those who are alive at the time of Christ's second coming, will be gathered together and will face judgment. The final judgment before Christ at the end of the age. The Bible says that all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, and just as it was appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, and so this passage of scripture that we studied in Hebrews reminds us that the notion of incarnation or any circular view of human history is wrong. We die, we face judgment. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, rather good or evil. The Bible teaches all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Second, hell. The Bible teaches the verdict rendered at judgment will be one of two judgments or result in one of two, or two, one of two eternal destinies. The regenerate, those whom God chose to be united to Christ in saving faith and are heirs of the eternal inheritance, will be ushered in to heaven, glory, everlasting life, the eternal state. And the unregenerate, those whom God passed by and left in the original state of a hard heart that remain dead in their sin, that never turn from sin to Christ, will be remanded to hell, eternal punishment. And the Bible declares Matthew 25, 31 through 33, and also verse 46, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, verse 36. And these will go away into eternal punishment, that is, the unregenerate, but the righteous unto eternal life. And then in Matthew 18 and verse 8, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And then in Mark 9, 47 through 48, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one hand, with one eye, than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The reality of judgment and the reality of hell for the unregenerate, a reality that is one of eternal torment. It is a horrible destiny. Annihilation would be better. Being separated from God and his wrath would be better. The Bible teaches the terrible reality of God's judgment upon the unrighteous who are remanded to hell where one suffers the wrath of God in everlasting torment. That is what the Bible teaches concerning judgment and concerning hell. Stop. Do not ignore judgment and hell. Do not think holy God will leave his justice unsatisfied. Do not count on dying, and that is the end. 
turn back to Scripture and understand the reality of judgment and the reality of the destiny for those who die outside of having saving faith with Christ, which is eternal torment in hell. Second, the warning. If one touches a red-hot burner, one should expect both pain and a really bad burn. And conversely, warns the author, if one who expressed faith in Christ rejects him, one should expect judgment without the benefit of standing before the judgment seat of Christ in the merit of Christ, and they should expect eternal punishment. Thus, our author argues in verses 26 through 27, for, we go, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So let's unpack these two verses. The use of four, which begins verse 26, directs us back to what we considered last week in verses 19 through 25. And you may, you may remember there the, the author summarized what he had taught in the previous nine and a half chapters about the personal work of Christ in just a couple of verses and orthodoxy. And then he exhorted the believer, exhorted us to live out the realities of those truths. In other words, the, the truth of Scripture should impact how we live, orthopraxis. And so now the author warns the believers of his day and warns us today about living contrary to the person, what the Bible declares about the person and work of Christ. He says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And so here he is describing a person similar to the person he described in chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, who appeared to be a believer, who appeared to have received the truth about Christ, orthodoxy, and who appeared to be living in light of it orthopraxis. But at some point, this person rejected Christ and rejected the truth about Christ. Of course, as we look at this individual as described in chapter 6 and the one described today, that person was never a true believer to begin with. The author emphasizes that this person refuses to repent and they go on sinning deliberately. Just as an aside, if you want to know what deliberate sin looks like, just go to Romans 1, chapter, uh, verse 18, and through the end of the chapter. And you'll get a clear picture of the sinfulness of sin. Here's the author's point. Apostasy leaves one without any means to deal with sin. The original readers of this letter, as I said earlier, were Jewish believers who had received the truth about Christ. 
as the once for all sacrifice that took away the guilt of sin. The once for all sacrifice that fulfilled all that was represented in that Levitical sacrificial system in the Old Testament, which Christ replaced in the New Covenant. They were being pressured to reject Christ, to apostatize. But if they did, the author argues, where could they turn to find atonement? They had turned from the Levitical sacrificial system, and now they're turning from Christ. And thus he says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, verse 26. And if there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, for sin, a way to deal with sin, they would die in their sin, they would face judgment as guilty sinners, and they would pay the price with their own life, eternal punishment. Then the author makes a, an argument from the lesser to the greater in verses 28 through 29, and his point is to show the reality of this fearful expectation of judgment. He begins by stating that the Mosaic law imposed the death penalty, and specifically we know from Leviticus 24 and Deuteronomy chapter 17 that the death penalty was imposed by blasphemers and idolaters. And if rejecting the law that is, rejecting the law and becoming a blasphemer, rejecting the law and falling into idolatry, subjected one to judgment and the death penalty, the author argues, how much more will be the penalty for rejecting Christ, for rejecting the atoning work of Christ, for rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit and applying the redemption accomplished by Christ to the sinner? How much more, how much worse punishment do you think, verse 29, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? What vivid language is used here under the inspiration of of the Spirit, rejecting Christ, being equated to trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant, resulting in the Spirit being outraged at such apostasy. The warning ends in, in verses 30 and 31 with the reality as we considered under point one, that all will face final judgment. The author appeals to Deuteronomy 32, verses 35 through 36. Look at verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the reason given is this, that God will judge all mankind, even his people. He will take out vengeance, that is, he will pour out his wrath on every guilty sinner. His justice will be satisfied. And those who stand in judgment without the benefit of Christ's merit will pay for their sin by suffering the second death, the greater death, 
remanded to hell where they will suffer torment eternally. Stop. For one to profess Christ and then reject him is life-threatening. Rejecting Christ today means one stands in judgment tomorrow without the benefits of the meritorious work of Christ in redeeming us, whereby we are pardoned and then imputing his righteousness to us, which is our standing before God. To reject Christ should result in a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume. Should be a reasonable expectation of the certainty of loss of life eternally, only to gain suffering and hell eternally. Turn back and embrace Christ genuinely by faith. And thirdly, the exhortation to persevere. In verses 32 through 34, the author reminds his readers of the evidence of their persevering faith. They had been enlightened concerning the truth of Christ and by faith had been living it out. And he catalogs a number of ways that the the Hebrews' faith in Christ was evidenced in how they lived consistent with Christ. The text tells us that they faithfully endured suffering that they faithfully endured public reproach and affliction, that they had come alongside others who were being persecuted, that they showed compassion for those who had been in prison, that they demonstrated joy even in the midst of their possessions being ransacked and taken from them because they knew where their true possessions lie, and it was the eternal inheritance in heaven. And the author encouraged them, and the author commended them on being faithful in the midst of intense persecution. And then in verse 39, he assured his readers, he counted them as genuine believers. But why did he warn them if they were genuine believers? Why would, as representing Scripture, Why would I, why would we be warned today by these words of Hebrews? That we would evermore persevere in faith. While it is true that we we will stand in Christ, we will stand in the merit of Christ, we will stand pardoned, in Christ, we will stand righteous in Christ, and we will stand and should stand without fear in Christ at the day of judgment. We should have a healthy fear of God the judge 
as we live today, a reverential fear of who he is that we might ever persevere in faith. You see, the warning incentivizes, the warning encourages, the, the warning compels, the warning reminds believers who God is and what is at stake that we would ever live believing wholly in Christ Jesus and trusting him. Dear one, do not think this warning is for the unregenerate. It is, to be sure. In fact, I think one of the greatest mistakes that is made in evangelism is starting with God loves you. We should start with God is holy and we are responsible to him. And we have a sin problem and his justice will be satisfied. We need to start more with warning than with the notion of God loves. God does love, but he doesn't love the same. He loves his people with an enduring, steadfast love, to be sure. And I would suggest to you today that we need to be reminded of who God is. We need to be reminded that God is holy. We need to be reminded that God's justice will be satisfied. We need to be reminded that judgment's real. We need to be reminded that hell is real. We need to be reminded that the only thing that's keeping us from being judged and remanded to hell is one thing, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, are you believing on him wholly? And resting on him wholly. You see how this warning works for believers? We need to have a healthy fear of who God is so that we'll stand in judgment without fear in Christ. In verses 35 through 36, we see this incentive the warning gives, the greater persevering faith. A genuine believer is exhorted by the author here to continue being confident in Christ by, by calling them to commit and recommit and double up on committing to living a life of endurance, perseverance, and faith. Stay the course, the author is saying. The, the warning should just impress upon us with, with the greatest force of the absolute necessity for us to stay the course in living in Christ, in living for Christ today. Endurance and perseverance in doing the will of God will bring a great reward. And that reward is receiving what God has promised in Christ Jesus. The author supports his exhortation. The, the author supports his argument to to call us to, to heed the warning and really endeavor to persevere by using Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4 that Brandon read earlier. The righteous live by faith, and li living by faith means we don't shrink back. We don't shrink back in rejecting Christ. We don't shrink back in rejecting Christ and thus displeasing the Lord. In verse 39, we learn that displeasing the Lord by shrinking back results in being destroyed judgment. 
eternal torment. That is the, what happens when one faces judgment without the benefit of Christ's merit. Because God will satisfy his justice. He'll either satisfy his justice by pouring out his wrath on Christ on our behalf, Christ taking God's wrath, or he'll pour his wrath out on the sinner. Standing without the merit of Christ. This sober warning was written primarily, I believe, to believers. To encourage them to heed the warning, to be incentivized, to live safely, to live wisely, to live faithfully by persevering in faith in Christ. And he emphasizes this in verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think for us that verse 31 is, is the, the very central thrust of this text. For as genuine believers to feel a little bit fearful about living before such a holy God whose justice will be satisfied. All the dead will be raised. Every human being that has ever lived from Adam and Eve on <laughs> will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Even God's people today, I will see you there at the judgment. I don't say that half-heartedly. I say that to impress a little bit of fear in us that we will all stand before the judge. And how should that reverential fear work in the life of the believer that we would evermore flee to Jesus and rest in him? The most significant question is this, how will you and how will I stand? Will you stand weighed down with sin, weighed down with guilt, and find the sentence guilty, find the punishment, eternal torment? Or will you stand in the merit of Jesus, guilt pardoned, clothed with his righteousness, ushered into heaven. Today is the day to determine this question of how will you stand in judgment. By the time you stand in judgment, it's too late. 
But consider today, this morning, and if you are outside of Christ, if you have not truly repented of your sin, if you've not genuinely fled to Christ in faith, consider this warning a reasonable expectation of eternal punishment. If you're a believer today, praise God. But, but may we sense the urgency of the writer of Hebrews as he wrote to his congregation, as we today are part of a congregation sitting under the teaching of this author, that we too would be impressed that we need to be spurred on to greater persevering faith. Stop. Turn back from the prospect of facing judgment without Christ. Flee to him. For this text warns, if you live having rejected Christ and stand on your own merit in judgment, you have a certain expectation to suffer eternal torment in hell. But if you persevere in faith, be encouraged that you will stand in the merit of Christ without fear on that day as you will be ushered in to heaven Persevering faith in Christ today means standing in the merit of Christ in the day of judgment. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your love and mercy for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for not only this warning, but for the three other warnings that you've given us in the book of Hebrews thus far. So it must be significant, it must be important, oh God, that you would so warn us as believers to ever persevere in faith. And Lord, I pray that you would do that, that you would enable us to see the, the urgency that, that indeed we would be, be challenged and spurred on to seek Jesus and to read, to believe upon him and rest in his merit today, knowing that the day to come of judgment, we will stand in him. And we will find the glory of Emmanuel's land. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.